welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Thank you. It's always that in between, like it started going without the mic off and then I would have had to stop and it would have been awkward, so I just let it go, sorry. Um, It's in the Bible if you want to look at that too. One of the challenging parts of Christmas worship is actually going back to familiar words and themes and letting them speak to us again rather than letting them lull us to sleep. The sentimentality can actually hinder us from um, going deeper. The nostalgia draws us in, which is a really good thing. This time of year, a lot of people um, are at church, but it sometimes keeps us at a superficial surface level, and I want to encourage us to to do our best to fight against that, because every time we open up God's word, whether we've read that passage 10 times or a 1,000 times, God can communicate something new to us, and so we, we realize this. This happens in other areas, like movies, for instance. Who here has watched A Christmas Story, the movie A Christmas Story, right? How many, now I need you to be honest and actually raise your hand loud and, no, you can't raise your hand loud, don't do it too loud. Um, How many of you watch it over five times? Over 10? 20? There's more of you who have watched it than that, I'm I'm sure of it. What about Elf? Five? 10? 20? They're so proud up here. So there's, Something going around the internet right now that is causing a lot of people to be shocked. The actor who played Ralphie in A Christmas Story actually has a cameo in Elf. And some people have watched these, look, see, people are very shocked right now. And some of you have watched these movies both dozens of times and you never realize that. Something new. What new things about Jesus' birth is God going to teach you this year? I I want us to look for them. I want us to expect them. Now, with all of that being said, I'm going to mix things up this morning. I I just told you to be ready to look for something original and familiar, but I couldn't help myself. You just heard Exodus 19 read. Well, some of you heard it read. And that is not a typical passage to be read this time of year. That passage is uh, the story of when God's people had just escaped slavery in Egypt, and they had reached a stopping point on their journey. And the Lord had given instructions to Moses in order to prepare Israel for his presence at Mount Sinai. The people are getting prepared for God's presence. Does that sound familiar? So let's jump into the Gospel of Matthew this morning as we see others, specifically Joseph, preparing for the coming of God as well. So open up an app or a pew Bible to page 8. It's actually the first page of the New Testament. And while you turn there, I'll pray for us. Jesus, we ask now that even if we've read this story many times, that you would speak afresh to us. And if this is the first time we've heard it, may we believe it. May we understand it. May we know you to be true and trustworthy. It's in your name. Amen. So chapter 1, verse 18 Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, 
Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So this passage does not record a single word spoken by Joseph. Instead, it, it narrates a story. And we can get a lot of good stuff from the narration, like the fact that Joseph is this humble, gentle, and kind man. And we can see that Joseph plays an integral part in the birth of Jesus. He was given instructions to follow in order to help pave the way for God to be with us. But we don't get much about how he's feeling about all this, about this probably emotional roller coaster that he's on. There's, there's not many details about this astonishing situation. But we can speculate. We can make some pretty good educated guesses about this, about how it affected Joseph. Here's this guy. He's, he's, he's found this nice young woman to marry. And in fact, they are betrothed to be married already. In that culture, it meant that they're engaged, that they're promised to one another. But it was much more significant than what an engagement looks like in our culture. They actually had a relational and legal bond, and calling off their marriage would require a divorce. And with a divorce came an immense amount of shame heaped upon the families. And from the looks of it, Joseph had every right to divorce Mary. I mean, it appeared as though she had committed adultery even before they themselves could consummate their marriage. His initial reactions to all of this must have been just this volatile mixture of, of anger and disappointment. It must have felt like a dagger in his back. However, we see his godly character shine through in his reaction. Joseph decides to divorce Mary quietly rather than dragging her name or her family's name through the mud. He had every right to actually make a spectacle of it. He could have publicly pointed out how terrible Mary was in order to absolve himself of any embarrassment or shame or guilt associated with the divorce. He could have done a lot of different things. But this dejected man had made up his mind. He's going to leave the woman that he loved, and he's going to try to do so while keeping her honor intact. And then I would imagine he probably went on praying that God might bless him in the future with a, a, another woman that he might marry. And verse 20 begins with the phrase, but as he considered these things, he was probably not just considering these things. If I was him, I would be consumed by these things. And all of a sudden, an angel appears to him in a dream. 
He must have dozed off. There's no transition to slumber in this verse. So it seems like even while he was drifting off to sleep, he could not rid his mind of this wretched situation. You know, it's one of those nights that, that the line between waking and sleeping was blurred. His mind was racing and nothing could distract him from the thought of his upcoming divorce. I've had nights like those, restless nights filled with anxiety about the future, consumed with pain from the past, where you sleep in spurts if you're lucky to fall asleep at all. Joseph was a human man, just like you and me, well, except for the women. I do not want to gloss over the circumstances facing Joseph at this point. He's suffering. He's in anguish. He's crying out to God, and God meets him in his time of need. An angel appears to him in a dream, and this angel instructs him not to be afraid. Now, typically in scripture, when an angel shows up, they say, do not be afraid, but they're saying like, don't be afraid because now there's an angel in front of you, which could be terrifying, right? This heavenly being just pops up, don't be afraid. But this angel says, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Seriously, regardless of the cultural shame that this would heap upon him, Joseph is being asked to do something that I think very few men would be capable of doing. Marry your fiance when she was impregnated with someone else's child. But the angel quickly illuminates the reality of the situation. Mary isn't pregnant with some other man's child. She has the son of God growing inside of her womb. And this child is promised to save the people from their sins. Mary's virginity was left intact, and she has been faithful to God and to Joseph. But this is a wild claim. Even with an angel communicating this, it would still take an immense amount of trust. But the angel does something, or the Bible does something that teaches us something, which it quotes Isaiah 7, verse 14. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So this whole situation, how crazy it seems, is not entirely out of left field. This is the coming of something that's actually expected. So if Joseph knew about this prophecy and, it, and he himself hoped for it to be fulfilled, it would give him a very good and believable reason to respond quickly and obey God. He marries the pregnant girl and shoulders all of the responsibility that must have come with that. He puts his belief in God and in God's promises into action, and he demonstrates what it looks like to follow the Lord regardless of the cost. He follows the instructions in order to prepare Israel for the coming of God's presence in a new and more tangible way. And so since we took some time to contemplate how Joseph felt before the angel visited him, maybe we could consider how he felt after. Joseph's heartache must have been, in an instant, completely changed to new emotions. He could have experienced quiet humility 
because God had chosen him and Mary for this honor. Or perhaps he felt relieved and happy that he could go on with the wedding, knowing that Mary was in fact a faithful woman. Or perhaps, like the Grinch, his heart grew three times in size that night. But all the text tells us is this. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. And so this morning, we praise the obedience of Joseph. He did as he was told without a single question or complaint. He demonstrated an immense trust and humility. But he didn't act alone. There were many others who helped prepare the way for Christ. Just look at the birth narratives. Mary trusted God and she said, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. We see Elizabeth and Zechariah following the directions of God as they named their firstborn son, John, and they took care of Mary for her entire first trimester. The shepherds left their flocks to visit the baby and celebrate his coming into the world. And the wise men, they went against the orders of their earthly king, and instead they worshiped this child. They gave him gifts and then obeyed God by not returning to the kingdom from which they just came. This was a group of individuals who came together in order to act in obedience to God as he entered the world and took on human flesh. It wasn't just Joseph, although he played a really big part. Christmas is about humans, angels, and God working together in order to bring forth the most astounding moment in creation, the coming of Emmanuel, God with us. It was a combination of many people who had important roles to play. I'm going to show you a three-minute video right now. It's from Atlanta Symphony Orchestra and Chorus as they perf performed O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And I want this to be somewhat of an exercise for us. I want us to pay attention to the different parts that are being played. And I want us to, to pay special attention, especially to the conductor. So let's watch.
So did you catch all of that? I didn't. Thankfully, I share a, a wall with Abby, who's our minister to worship and is well-versed in these things. And she shared with me all of the, the different nuances that are going on um, on that stage. And she said, right at the beginning, everyone stands out of respect for the conductor, whose name's Robert Shaw. He's a big deal, I guess. The conductor is the glue that holds the choir and orchestra together and keeps everyone together uh, on a piece of music. The conductor gives the artistic direction and interpretation of a piece of music. Otherwise, it is just black dots and lines on a page. A conductor sets the speed of a song. He commands the attention of the choir and orchestra in order to create the best and the most unified sound. At the beginning, he cues the suspended bell, the glockenspiel, and chimes. At the 45-second mark, he brings in the low strings using a sweeping, smooth beat pattern that brings the strings in quietly and hauntingly out of nothing. At the 50-second mark, he cues the men by breathing in the shape of the vowel he wants them to sing. At 1.15, he gives a breath in his conducting pattern after the first rejoice and then continues with a smooth beat pattern so that everyone sings and plays legato with no breaks for breath. When we get back to the chorus at 154, the conductor's beat pattern is big and accented, getting a strong response, a forte from the choir and orchestra. And then he gradually uses smaller movements and the musicians respond by playing gradually softer. At 210, he gives a prep beat like a, okay, here it comes to the bases so they are ready for their entrance at 2.12. At 2.36, he gives this wonderful big breath that creates the space for the beautiful rejoice. He creates the tension and emotion here, along with the swell of the sound of the orchestra. We don't see his cues at the end, but you can bet he gives a diminuendo because everyone sings and plays more softly, and his final act would be cutting everyone together at three minutes and seven seconds. There were so many people involved in that performance, and each person was responsible for their own part. They had to utilize their own gifts, knowledge, and experience in order to contribute to that beautiful song. And the conductor, he held it all together. He created harmony and unity. Likewise, God was the composer and conductor of Jesus' birth. He gave his cues through prophecies, visions, dreams, and encounters, and his people obeyed. Each did their own part according to the will and direction of God. And this morning, we have been paying special attention to Joseph's particular role. But together, several people followed the lead of their conductor and produced a symphony that had all of heaven singing along with joy. Each and every year, we gather together as one body of believers for Advent and Christmas. We sing songs of old that remind us of this mind-bending truth that God took on human flesh and lived with his creation. We recall the people who played important roles in that first Christmas, but there were many important roles that were played long before Christmas. Last week, Dorothy preached about just a few of the many prophecies regarding Jesus' birth. And those were most certainly 
vital additions that helped pave the way for Christ's coming. But even before the prophets, God was orchestrating a means through which he could connect with his people. And that's why we read from Exodus 19 this morning. Exodus 19 gives us a glimpse into this. The Hebrews had been led out of Egypt by Moses under the direction of God. As they arrived at Mount Sinai, the Lord told Moses to say this to his people. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And the people respond by saying, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So then the Lord descended on the mountain. He gave them the Ten Commandments so that they might obey. You've got the composer and the conductor giving them the music from which they should practice and play. Obedience results in holiness. Obedience results in God living close to us. And our culture does not like this word, obedience. But the truth is, if you believe in something and you act according to that belief, you are acting in obedience. For example, if you believe that exercise and eating right are essential for overall health, then when you exercise regularly and you eat a bunch of nutritious food, then you are being obedient. You are putting your belief into action. See, I believe those things too, but I've been very disobedient because I have not been putting them into action. And when you disobey, there are consequences, like having to purchase a new suit for Christmas Eve that has spandex in it, that's stretchier. I'm thinking ahead. Amazing things happen throughout Scripture when men and women put their belief into action. And Joseph is a prime example of this as he willingly submits to God's plans. And as a result, the Savior of the world is born into his family. But I would assert something else as we transition to the end of this sermon. I still want to talk about obedience, but I want to focus more on just the power of what it looks like to obey together. And so I'm gonna share with you a hypothetical situation. And it's a hypothetical situation that I think actually might be able to come to fruition here. Jane has decided to take seriously God's consistent command throughout the Bible to take care of the widow, the orphan, and the stranger. She decides that she is going to adopt a family from paradise who lost their home in the fire. She has pledged to provide lodging for this family for the month of December. Jane is putting her belief into action. Jane tells her small group about what she is doing and then they begin praying for this family. Her small group wants to help too. They wanna to provide essentials and Christmas presents for this family that Jane has begun to minister to. Every person in the small group is putting their belief into action. Then other small groups begin to hear about what Jane's group is doing, and they begin to adopt other families in the same neighborhood. And by the time December ends, Carmel Prez has an entire neighborhood 
adopted in paradise. Individual obedience is vital. God has used faithful individuals throughout time in order to accomplish amazing things. But you would be hard-pressed to find anyone making a huge impact for Christ or his kingdom in isolation or solitude. We see Moses obeying God, but the Lord made a covenant with all of the people, and all of the Israelites were expected to put their belief in Yahweh into action. We read this morning about Joseph obeying God, but so too did many others in order to welcome the long-awaited Messiah into the world. So do your part. Strive to put your belief in action like Joseph did. But don't do it alone. Remember that you are but a single player in a vast heavenly symphony. As we gear up for Christmas Eve, I am reminded of the powerful imagery of that night. At the end of each worship service, we have the tradition of lighting candles. It's such a, a moving thing to witness as more and more candles are lit until this entire sanctuary is aglow. As we put our belief in Christ into action together, we will prepare the way for his presence in new, powerful, and exciting ways. Pray with me. Jesus, speak to us individually now how we might follow you more closely. Reveal to us our part, our purpose. Lord, give us the fortitude, the trust, and the faith to follow through with it. We thank you for the many gifts that are in this room. We thank you that each one of us does have a purpose. I pray now that you would multiply our effectiveness so that we might see more and more people come to know you as the savior of this world. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.